This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 164. This week we have a special podcast recorded by editor Laura at Wilderness Festival in Oxfordshire. In the episode, she catches up with two of the chefs hosting feasts at the festival. First, we hear from Andrew Clark of St. Leonard's in Shoreditch, who talks about the joys of live fire cooking, his own battles with mental health and the struggles within the hospitality industry, and why cooking and being a chef saved his life. Then Laura talks to Yossi Elad, co-founder of the Palomar in London, about Israeli cooking, his incredible career, which spans more than 40 years, and why he can't quite retire yet. Hello. Hiya. <laughs> I'm here with Andrew Clark, chef patron of Fire and Ice Restaurant St. Leonard's, the co-founder of Pilot Light, a mental health campaign supporting those in his industry dealing with mental health issues, and metal guitarist as well. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll talk bit. about that a bit more later on. Um, we're here at Wilderness Festival in Oxfordshire. Um, you've teamed up with Hotbox this weekend uh, to create a special menu. Um, Talk us through that. Well, um, but yeah, they, they kind of drafted me in last minute and said, hey, do you want to come and do Sunday lunch with the, with the guys? And I thought, well, you know, definitely uh, for Sunday lunch, we should do something like a big lamb, like an asador of lamb. Yeah. So we've got three of those, four of those in, um, and we're going to just crucify them and cook them out really slowly over hot embers. Amazing. Um, and then there's lots of vegetables that we're going to be burying in the embers themselves Lovely. and using those on the... Uh, uh, through the courses um I, there's a slight canary island take on things as well interesting yeah and, and it's, it's because i used to have some great holidays out in uh lanzarote and um i was always obsessed with those wrinkly potatoes that they do okay and then they do like a, it's like a green salsa and a red salsa that they call mojo verde and mojo rojo okay so we've got those uh to do Amazing. um and and then just to kind of because the guys at hotbox they do a lot of kind of you know barbecue that has that kind of tex-mex feel about it i just wanted to put a bit more of the the european live fire cooking that i do yeah um that kind of does draw its cues from yeah a bit, little bit of spain a little bit of italy but i guess there's a bit of scandinavian um influence in there as well okay so i brought up and it's in my tent at the moment i've had uh when when we opened St. Leonard's this time, at this time last year, I made a rowan berry vinegar Ooh. and it's seeing the light of day this weekend. So that's nice <laughs> and intense. And we also made a, a mackerel garum from yeah. all the um, kind of fish bones and fish guts and... And it's like a fish sauce. It's okay. fermented and it's tasting really amazing. Oh. But just to kind of really add a little bit more uh, complexity to it. Um, anytime we do f- uh, prep at St. Leonard's, uh, fish prep, we often hang a lot of the bones around the fire. So they s- like dehydrate and ah. then smoke slowly. And then we make stocks from that. So I just infuse this garum with some of these smoky bones as well. Amazing. So it's going to be like a bit of a punch in the mouth of flavour. But um, we're going to paint it on the lambs as they cook. 
Good Lord, that sounds so good. I mean, my next question was going to be to ask you about what is about live fire cooking that you love. But, you know, just from hearing you talk about it, I what, can see why. Well, you, what, yeah, what exactly. It, it, it's so much fun. I, You know, I looked at the kitchen. I look at the kitchen many times, actually, that we've built something so amazing there. It, I grew up in kind of all sorts of kitchens, really. But, you know, the, the very, the, the kind of the very standard kitchen that you have, lots of stainless steel and stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, ovens and a, a little range in the middle perhaps. Um, to be able to ha- say, look, I've, you know, I've got a three-metre medieval hearth. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, pretty cool. You know, yeah. it, it's something that not, not a lot of uh, kitchens have and I go in daily just having, you know, a, I don't even think we've scratched the surface of what we can do with this thing. So yeah. being able to go in every day and having something else new to work on. And also, you know, being able to, um, you know, do a lot of prep and uh, whether it is something when it comes to live fire, whether it is, um, you know, a piece of meat or fish that, you know, we'll give a lick of smoke or uh, a little, it will see the embers for a little bit. Um, there are other things that find themselves somewhere else, whether it's into a dessert or into a raw plate of fish. Yeah. There are other bits of prep that we like to, you know, have a suggestion of the fire or some smoke at some point as well so it is so much fun i can't i can't tell you enough it's kind of the antithesis of that kind of sous vide super control yep. fine dining thing there's so much that could go wrong i feel but that kind of makes it well even do you know exciting what i do see a lot of chefs crumble when they when they come in and we're always there to help out but i mean you have to it's not just about cooking to as perfectly as possible yeah. And to the speed that the customers come in and, the, you know, the, the orders come in. But you've got to keep that thing hot all the time yeah. and at the right temperature. So that means keeping an eye on your fuel, your logs. And we, we use a blend of kind of um, various woods and then charcoal and uh, a few other little bits and pieces that we put in there. Um, so, yeah, if it goes down and you get a whole load of people come through the door, you're going to find yourself sweating a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, so talk to me anyway about your career. You touched upon it just then. I've, I've read that you've been described as a reluctant chef. Can you tell me a yeah, bit about that? I mean, like, you know, how did you get into it? Well, I, I, I yeah, reluctantly uh, <laughs> got into the industry. I was a musician. And uh, as a lot of musicians will tell you, it doesn't pay well. <laughs> And paying the bills was becoming a bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, so I talked to someone. He said, look, you know, there's a little pizza here. Come down and, you know, give us a hand. So I thought that would be a day job. Now, the thing about being a cook is um, there really is no such thing as part-time work. I yeah. mean, the chef hours is something that people know a lot about. Yeah. And uh, it, it was very consuming. And then after a while, yeah, I, I mean, you know, five years went by and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a not, chef. Now. I'm a chef, exactly. <laughs> so um, I don't regret it. I mean, I, I, I love what this industry has brought me, to be honest. Um, but it did take a little while to fit in and find the right place. But there was a place in uh, Kent called the Swan, okay. and I think that was the pl- from going from kind of pizzerias and places that weren't serious enough about food. But everything was kind of prepped off site and then right. brought in. We were just really reheating things and yeah. or doing the bare minimum of cooking. So it wasn't until I got to the Swan and then found that you know we were getting whole animals in, which we would then butcher ourselves. Wow. Uh, we would go out to the fish markets, uh, you, you know, each week. Um, 
And then we'd do foraging and a lot of other little bits and pieces that just brought us closer to the food. Yeah. And whether we were working with farmers as well to grow certain heritage grains, yeah. uh, heritage variety of seeds. It was just, you know, that really opened my eyes about to what it was about. And I was finally working with chefs. So yeah. I had people to look up to. Awesome. And yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And but you've got some amazing other... Uh, uh, bits and bobs on your CV. I say yep. bits and bobs. We've got Marco Pierre White, St. John, Wild yep. Honey, Arbutus, The Square. Like, yep. that's a really good Well, CV. do you know what it is for a lot of them? I, Because of my early days cooking in, um, you know, really bad places, by the time I did get to this one, everyone I was working with had a good CV already. Yeah. And I, I didn't have that. So uh, I think it was like every Thursday or Friday when I had a day off, I would go and, you know, call up a load of restaurants and say, can I come and work with oh, you wow. and stage across London yeah. uh, as much as possible. So I kind of made up for lost time, I think, yeah. in that sense, with those okay. restaurants. Um, and when did you sort of find your, your style? Because I know you did some um, tapas at Salt Yard when you were head chef there. Yeah. Like, when did you think, right, my style is cooking over fire and doing it really, really well? I, or is that even some, your style? Well, I think it is. I, I think now? there's... I never wanted to do live fire in a way of kind of very obvious barbecue. Mm. Um, I wanted to bring in some kind of you know, high-end, fine dining uh, technique because, I mean, having, uh, you know, water baths and, mm. you know, that kind of pre- pre- precision cooking. Um, I-, I had all that as a technique and I didn't want to lose it Mm. but I also wanted to do something so primal like you know every every time I went out I was I was fortunate enough to grow grow up in uh, between the countryside and like London one end of my street and the countryside the other end of the street so I could go out camping a lot with the friends and then we'd always you know make the biggest (laughs) fires you can imagine and kill things and cook things and stuff (laughs) so there was part of me that had that kind of primal um part of uh, part of my past and um and then, yeah, I, I loved all the fi- fine techniques. So I wanted to do fi- uh, kind of fine dining okay. or uh, use um, live fire cooking, not in the obvious way. Yeah. Um, and that's what I do. And I take my cues and my influence from all around the world as far as fi- live fire goes. But, you know, it, it doesn't even need to be that. It, it's can we do even classical things? I mean, it, you know, the, the, I had a certain classical upbringing as well in kitchens and... Um, being able to take classical sauces and try and do those around the fire and yeah. make them a little smokier. Um, I like doing that as well. So looking at old French cookbooks and um, we, we also, I might say that um, uh, St. Leonard's was also modelled on a, a, a southwestern, southwest France restaurant, a restaurant in Bordeaux called La Tupina. Okay. So again... France was a big influence there and it would be a bit of an injustice not to kind of look through those old cookbooks and rework some of those recipes. Super exciting. Um, I also read about, I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation, Glanstonbury. Okay, right. (laughs) So again, something that that harks back to my childhood. I I grew up eating a lot of offal. I love offal. And I think it's... uh, As a meat eater, it's a very responsible thing to do. So... Mm. um, uh, a uh, chef and uh, another chef, uh, Tom Aldroyd, um, and myself came up with the idea of, um, about six or seven years ago now, where we, we were talking about Jeremy Lee at Quo Vardis, yeah. and he does the most amazing sweetbreads that are always on the menu. And because we talked about them so much, that one day we <laughs> said, "Yeah, we should do an awful event, like an awful festival," and like <laughs> simultaneously, just an awful meal. It was yeah, an awful festival, festival going all in. Yeah, ridiculous. I know. Uh, like that many people would actually like awful. Um, and 
And literally simultaneously, because this was all over text message, it was like, it's Glastonbury. <laughs> Sure. Because it makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we were kind of we we didn't do it last year, and and that's only just I just got too busy to do it. Um, this year, possibly towards the end, okay. but it's usually one of those ones. It has a, a, a bit of a cult following now. So as soon as we do release the news, the tickets n- normally go quite quickly now. Okay. And where do people sign up for that? Cause me saying people, me, where do I sign up for this? How do we find out when? The do you know what? The Drapers, the Drapers Arms in Islington, okay. it normally goes out through their website and Twitter and okay. and even my kind of Instagram and, you know, cool. I, I'll throw stuff out there. But if you need to know, you'll know. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> um, book. I've also heard lots of rumours of books. Tell me about this. I'm, I've been, I've been, I'm talking about I'm reading articles from like two, three years ago. I know, it's the best. When's it coming? I've got, I've got to say, I've been, try, I've been working on a thing for about two years now, it yeah. must be. But do you know what it is? It's never the first priority because of, like, I guess, since I first talked about wanting to do a book, mm. I've then opened a restaurant, launched Pilot Light and a couple of other bits and pieces. So I think that it's the one it's, it's the one I need to do least. Yeah. But I also want to get it done now because I feel like I've been talking about it for too long. <laughs> and I've got other ideas as well for, okay. um, for a book. So I am writing and hopefully sometime next year. Okay, cool. We'll keep an eye out of that. So, yeah, you, you mentioned Pilot Light, and yep. this is probably the thing I'm most excited to talk to you about. That launched earlier this year. Yes. Or, um, tell me all about it, because I think it's such a, a, a cool and important subject. I, it goes back to a, an Instagram post that I put out um, in 2016 where I'd had a bit of a, a tough year, and, um, and I just wanted to acknowledge on World Mental Health Day that for something I never really believed in before, um, I was like, you know what, this is real. Uh, Mm. Depression is real, mental health is real, and uh, I got through mine, and I was one of the lucky ones. Um, But I did hit rock bottom on the way down, uh, on on the way to, you know, recovery. Mm. Um, So I put a little post out there. I got an an overwhelming response from kind of friends, uh, other people in the industry. Um, But the narrative was, like, so many people have been through it before, and I hadn't ever heard of that mm. you know close friends have been through the same thing so I just thought well look you know if we don't speak up about it then it's always going to be a taboo yeah so we're really in control here yeah. um I just wanted people to talk more about mental health and, and if I ever talk to people and say what you know what is pilot light it's just just talk about mental health however um it took a little while to come to light just because for all the goodwill in the world it was um you know something I had to do in my part-time in my spare time mm-hmm. And as soon as you, it's like kind of Pandora's box as well. As soon as you open stuff up, then yeah. so many other things start coming through and you're like, wow, I, I didn't <laughs> realise it was so deep. Yeah. But we worked, uh, we have been working with um, Time to Change and Mind. Okay. Um, so they've given us a lot of support, a lot of their time. Right. And um, and Doug, uh, Doug Sanum, who's my partner on this, he has kind of committed, well, he's looking to, you know, leave cooking just to make this his kind of full-time job so we have launched but we're going to be doing some bigger things in the next couple of months as well where we take it from a a part-time campaign to an actual business okay well that's super exciting do you think there's a specific problem within hospitality or is it more just that hospitality hasn't been spoken about on this level before i never want to well you know what mental health issues uh, certainly across the the western world Mm -hmm. are, are really on the rise and and I just want people to talk about mental health across the board. Yeah. My voice is loudest in 
hospitality. So sure. it made sense to start there. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, there's a lot of um, broken souls within our industry. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I mean, so we've said it a, f- a few times that um, we're all kind of ad- adrenaline junkies in some way or another. And, uh, you know, it does affect us. There is a certain breed of person that comes into this industry. So um, I just felt that in a time where there's fewer and fewer chefs coming into the industry, isn't it about time we just started looking after each other a little bit more? And, you know, it it does mean that we need to rethink a lot of uh, how we manage people and get the best out of people. But too many people I've spoken to in the past said, yeah, I used to be a chef, but I burnt out. And that shouldn't be the case. There should be longevity here for everyone. So that's what I want to promote. Do you think that, I suppose there aren't any quick fixes, that's a stupid question, but what are the, uh, is there anything changing that can help with that? Is it cultural? Is it um, it personal responsibility as well as? I I think there's so many things. Mm. I mean, and, you know, I could go on about them. Uh, I do think there are ways that we can get ourselves out of it and looking after ourselves is a bit of a responsibility for ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Um, But, you know, diet, exercise, um, just not looking at them, you know, too much social media or media, just, you know, limit your time. And, And, you know... I have things that you can look forward to doing each week. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah. get out there. I think too many people get into that um, cycle of just going to work and then just spending the day at home or in bed. Or, do you yeah. know what I mean? Recovering. It's it like, must be hard to have a work-life balance when the hours can be, well, long for one and yeah. two, not to the to the you know normal yeah. um, path of everyone else. I, I've, I've always feel as well, I mean... There are times when I don't mind doing 100 hours a week, mm. and that's fine. Yeah. There's no longevity in that. You can do it for, like, two or three months. Yeah. Um, and as a restaurant owner, that, that's something that I commit to doing. However, yeah, I think it's important as well to make sure that there is a work-life balance. Um, my guys, we do about eight shifts a week. So that's usually four doubles and three days off. And I feel that even if you took one of those days off to rest up, yeah, then you've got two days to do other things. Yeah. So there is a way. I mean, look. It's just about not getting so drunk after work that you end up, like, you know, completely uh, ruined the next day. And then you have a recovery day and then you don't know what to do on that last day. But um, I don't know. There is a a bit of care that people should do. And and that's what we're trying to promote as well, that the work-life balance is an important thing to keep an eye on yeah. if you want longevity in the industry. Yeah, so that's about business owners as much as personal. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, just being able to... I don't want to push my staff too much. I like working hard and I want to promote that within yeah, my kitchens. But at the same time, they're useless to me. If I'm going to give them five shifts in a row and they're, they're useless on the, fourth, um, yeah, yeah. On, on the fourth day, then, you know, what's the point? It's counterproductive. So, yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very difficult to you know, talk about this because everyone manages their teams differently. Yeah. Um, and some people get success out of that. But I feel that times were a bit different to when I started 20 years ago when yeah. you could you know really shout at people and they were still there all the time yeah yeah, yeah. um okay and so where can people get information on this before I move on to the it's uh, pilotlightcampaign.co.uk 
Brill. Um, and I want to end on a positive because I also read somewhere where you said that cooking saved your life. And yeah. for us, like at Olive, we're all about food being about joy. And we're actually launching our own campaign in January about using cooking, whether it be cooking meditatively and doing it by yourself, cooking massive plates of food to share with your friends and family. It brings us joy and yeah. we want to shout about that. So, yeah, tell us all the good things about the industry and why, why you love it so much. I mean... There was once upon a time where I worried, as a lot of chefs do, that you don't get the the social life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know it affects people from kind of 18, 19, 20, when all their mates are going out to clubs and bars and stuff, and you, you've got to work a double shift. Mm-hmm. You're working a Friday night, Saturday night. It is a hard transition. But what I will say, mm-hmm. and I like saying this, is that I'm 41 years old now, and I'm carrying on like a 19-year-old anyway. <laughs> And, you know, my <laughs> my chefs and my friends that I grew up with, bless them, you know, they're just, you know, they're kind of stuck in that old family lifestyle. That I, and it's all good. That's fine with them. But I, that losing my uh, my social life as a, a, a you know, a, a teen. A and a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, back then, I've, I've certainly made up for it now. And, you know, I've, I've traveled the world doing what I do. I can come to places like Wilderness and cook for a load of people, make people happy. Um, I just love it. I'm not, no two days are the same. So um, I, I, I also think, um, particularly when I was going through what I went through, um, just having a reason to turn up somewhere to feed people. It was only me and my sous chef cooking as well so I felt there was a, a duty to him and I just kind of partnered up uh, with my um, with Jackson Boxer when I was doing Brunswick House and um, you know having a reason to be in the kitchen every day for those people just it made me get through it Good. Okay. Well, thank you so great much. Stuff. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. And Absolute have a pleasure. Great thank you very much. Cool. Thank you. Stick around to hear from Yossi Allard of the Palomar talk all about Israeli cooking and his incredible 40-year career. Hello, I'm here with Yossi Ilad, the chef and co-founder behind the Palomar Restaurant in London. He's here at Wilderness Festival, um, back from retirement, which we'll talk about <laughs> more in a moment. He's just hosted a long table banquet serving the lights of vine leaf ravioli with chicken shawarma and pistachio canefe. Welcome, Yossi. Yeah, thank you. And congratulations on service. I just managed to taste some of the wonderful food and you had a rock star reception after um, service. I'm so happy to hear it. <laughs> okay. It was amazing. Um, Talk me through the menu that you've got today yes. and some of the things yeah. that you've been cooking. I'm I'm mainly inspired by um, by the environment where I live. Okay. Uh, from old uh, Jewish ladies who came from Morocco or Tunisia. Yeah. And uh, as I have a lot of Arab friends, Palestinians as well, so from their mothers. Yeah. Uh, and and the whole menu is influenced by what I was taught uh, from those old ladies. <laughs> they taught you well. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about the lamb? Um, yes, sure. Uh, <clears throat> the lamb is actually a traditional dish that is served for weddings. Okay. Uh, up in the Galilee, mainly. Right. By Arab families. Uh, as, as you know, according to Jewish laws, you are not supposed to cook uh, meat and milk together. Mm. Uh, the name of this dish, Haruf Belaban Emmo, means um, lamb 
in its mother's milk, <laughs> which is completely opposite <laughs> to the Jewish rules. Yeah. Um, and this is really, as I said, a typical dish from the Galilee. And I was uh, at a wedding that a mother of a friend of mine was doing, and she was cooking the lamb and I was standing there next to her yeah. <laughs> and trying to remember exactly what she does. I couldn't get over how tender it was and yes. how flavorful yeah. as well and everything was cooked. So it was served with yellow rice and a yeah. black lentil stew as well. Yeah. So yeah. how is the lamb cooked? It's, is the it lamb, braised? <laughs> the lamb, actually no. You, you first poach the lamb to okay. take uh, all dirty parts away, you okay. know. And is that in water? Uh, or is in, that? Uh, just simple water okay. and then you add a lot of spices but okay. whole spices like cinnamon and cardamom Wonderful. and coriander seeds and uh, all spice okay. and you cook it slowly like for two, almost 12 hours wow. then you take it out of the juices <coughs> you strain it you take out the whole dirty parts mm -hmm. and the spices reduce the juice and then you add it to yogurt and you cook the yogurt wow. slowly with the juices of the lamb. And then you take the lamb, you, take, you, you pull it apart, you mm. like pulled lamb, mm. and you put it in the yogurt. So good. So, I, can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't explain to the listeners no, how good it was, but yeah. yeah, so that's definitely yeah. one to try. Yeah. Um, and actually, the broccoli was a real surprise too. Yeah. So baked broccoli. The, the broccoli, the broccoli is uh, a dish that we serve at the Paloma. Okay. Yeah, and it was uh, like uh, put on the menu as uh, with, uh, uh, by the chef, the head, the head chef of okay. the Paloma, and we loved it very much. So we decided to put it on this special event as well. It was great. It came with a tomato salsa, almond flakes, and, and was it a kind of pesto? Or, uh, it uh, was herb? kind of yeah. pesto herbs and yeah. pie nuts. Yeah, so yeah, good. And, yeah. Definitely going to try that at home. Um, so, yes, I mentioned you being retired, which we both yeah. briefly spoke about before we came um, online. Uh, tell me about that, because you said three years ago you made a decision to sort of step well, back. Well, I came... I came... I... I I will not go back like forty or fifty years. Uh, <laughs> then when I that then when I started my my cooking career. Yeah. <laughs> but you like, certainly done your yeah, time. <laughs> yeah, no. Like ten years ago, I opened with uh, two young boys yeah. a restaurant in Jerusalem. It's Machne Yuda, yeah. uh, which was like uh, a big hit uh, just after <laughs> we opened it. Yeah. And it took us about five years to decide that we want to open a restaurant abroad. Yeah. So I came like about six years ago to London, 2013, yeah. uh, to open the Paloma. And I was living in London for about four years. Oh, gosh. And after we realized that, well, I've done my job <laughs> and the people in, in London... Well, are doing quite a good job. Everybody loves the Palomar, yeah. so they definitely yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. So I decided I'll go back to Israel. Okay. But going back to Israel uh, and not being involved in the restaurant in Israel meant that I'll be a, a silent partner, which I don't like. So yeah. I sold my shares to my partners in Jerusalem, and I retired from the restaurants in Jerusalem. 
And all of a sudden, I found myself like very busy as a consultant. And I opened uh, f- f- uh, uh, a restaurant in Frankfurt, a restaurant in Berlin. <laughs> and now I'm working on two projects, another one in Berlin and one in Munich. <laughs> and the vision is my, my, the people whom I'm working with in Germany bought a nice building on Drury Lane in Covent Garden. Ooh, okay, this is exciting. And I already smell that <laughs> they want me to help them with opening a restaurant in, in the hotel on Drury Lane. I believe it will take another year or two, but I'll, all of a sudden I'll find myself <laughs> back in London. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm retired, but <laughs> busy, <laughs> busier, busier than ever, yeah. Um, had you always known that you wanted to cook professionally? Was that always in your destiny? Or Whoa, that, that's a long, a long, long story. <laughs> I'll make it really, really short. Um, m- m- my father survived the Holocaust. Oh, gosh. And when he came back from the concentration camps, he, ho- he opened like a, a, a restaurant. It's a, it was kind of a restaurant for refugees. Uh, who went through Bratislava. He was right. he was born in, in uh, Czechoslovakia. Okay, wow. uh, so he never cooked before, but after the war, he decided to, to you know to serve food for yeah. the refugees. And when he came to Israel, he started to work in a home for the aged and take care. Uh, of food for for all people. Amazing. So I was grown up in an environment of cooking yeah. and, and serving people. So when I was six, I said I want to be a cook when I grow up. Uh, at the end, I found myself um, being a hotel manager. Okay. Uh, and at the age of 30, I said... Well, as as far as I remember, when I was six, <laughs> I wanted to cook, and I retired, and I established a, a catering company. Oh, wow. And since then, like, well, since 1980, it's already 40 years. Wow. I find myself in the kitchen. And you know, you can sometimes take out the chef out of the kitchen but you can never never take the kitchen out of the chef so <laughs> I think that definitely sounds true with you and talk to me about Israeli cuisine and, and why it's so important to you why you're so passionate about it and why you've been kind of telling the story of of where you're from for all of the, these years these decades uh, well um there is a, a great debate if there is an Israeli cuisine okay. or not Okay. And I and I say we we need like two conditions. Okay. One an Israeli chef. Okay. And the second is what we call chutzpah. You know what's chutzpah? <laughs> to be arrogant. Okay. <laughs> and uh, well, when I was when I was young at, at the beginning of my career, I went to work in a, I wanted to to try and work in a three Michelin star restaurant. Oh gosh. And I was asked by the chef if I can do uh, ratatouille. Okay. And I said, well, no problem. And I did ratatouille. 
And he came to me and he started to shout and he said, well, this is not a ratatouille. And I said, but taste it. So he <laughs> tasted it and he said, well, it tastes very good, but for 400 years we are doing ratatouille this way. Why to change? And I said, because I'm an Israeli. Yeah. Uh, and what happens that there is a great, great debate because, you know, our roots are all uh, from Jews who came from all over the world, from Hungary or Poland or Morocco mm -hmm. or Tunisia or Egypt and from our neighbors, the Palestinians. And what we are trying to establish is like to take what we were taught by our ancestors, you know, yeah, but yeah. our old mothers. Yeah. And to make it a little bit more modern with, with a, a little bit more of courage, yeah. you know, a bit more spicy, a bit yeah. more lemon. Uh, Johnny, the sous chef of the Paloma, is always laughing. He's, he comes to me and says, can you taste? And before you taste, I know you want some more uh, <laughs> lemon juice and you want some more chili. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, yeah. So there is no Israeli cuisine, but we are trying to establish it. And, and what happens that all of a sudden, if you make a tour around the world and you start in Australia and New York and Paris and London and Germany, all of a sudden you'll see that Israeli chefs are doing Israeli, so-called Israeli food, and the restaurants are packed. People are queuing, to, which means they love the food. And I'm, I'm doing it already for five, six years. Yeah. And the queues are still long. So it means we are, we are trying to, to build something new, mm. which maybe is not Israeli, but good. Yeah. And... For me, to show the world that we can do something else and not only wars. Yeah. That we can love Palestinian food. And if we love Palestinian food, we have to love the Palestinians as well. Yeah. They have to love us. So hopefully, I established in 2001 with some friends an organization that's called Chefs for Peace. Okay. In Israel. Okay. And we are cooking sometimes together. And for me, it's not only about the food. It's also about the people. Of course, of course. People yeah. are at the heart of yeah. every meal, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so talk to me then about the ingredients that you would define with your cooking. I mean, you've got, across this menu we've had today, there were some incredible ingredients in there. And seemingly quite simple, not too many things going on yeah. on the surface, but perhaps yeah. lots of spices and things behind the scenes. But talk to me well, about the ones that are really stand out for you that you would always cook um, with. First of all, for me, it's very important to cook with ingredients we have in our area. Okay. Okay, it's not that sometimes I don't use pineapple, mm. which is growing now in Israel, but was brought to Israel from... Mm. Uh, uh, from other countries but for me it's important to cook with herbs that grow in Israel 
with food that is familiar to the to the area and weather conditions yeah. you cannot you cannot cook with uh, a lot of fat yeah we, you cannot cook very heavy meals you yeah. know that not that we are not doing it sometimes yeah. okay but the food should be healthy and yeah. easy to digest yeah Uh, one of the ingredients we were using like today is uh, what we call frike you know frike the grain the grain yeah. it's it's like bulga yeah uh, and it's smoked yeah and the reason uh, is that down in the south uh, after summer uh, at the end of the summer when you harvest the wheat, It's already dry, but right. up in the Galilee, where there is a lot of rain sometimes, the wheat at the end of the summer is still green. Okay. So the Bedouins, the Arabs, were harvesting the, the, the wheat while it was still green ah, okay. and drying it on what we call a sarge. It's, it's like an upside-down walk. Okay. And drying it on, on open fire. So it becomes like smoky, smoky. and yeah. still have a very dark green color. Amazing. So it's a typical, typical uh, Galilean uh, dish. So that's what I, I used over here. And uh, of course, spices that we, we use, like uh, cardamom, mm. uh, Russell Hanout, sumac. Yeah. that are from the area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So delicious, so yeah. delicious. Um, and uh, what do you think of the defining dishes, even whether they be the, the dishes of the Palomar or the, in the restaurants you've been talking about around the world where Israeli chefs are cooking, what are the dishes people should be going out and seeking and trying? Well, they should try everything. <laughs> should try cook, everything. You know. I'm going to give a shout-out to Kenefe because yeah. that's just delicious. Yeah, okay. Cheese for dessert. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's again a typical a typical uh, uh, Palestinian dish. Yeah. Um, done with um, with salted cheese. Yeah. But, uh, we made it a little bit, uh, you know, easier to digest. Yeah. So we used mozzarella. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the the Tel Aviv mix, which is uh, uh, a typical, like uh, if if you go in in, in Israel. And people are doing some uh, seafood. They'll, they'll do it quite, not exactly the same way, but, you know. Talk to me about um, the, the spices that you used on the seafood mix, because my table um, absolutely adored these. We used yeah. Rasel Hanout. You know what's Rasel Hanout? Yeah. Rasel Hanout is a mixture of usually five spices. Okay. Each, each uh, uh, spice shop has its own Rasel Hanout. Yeah. Uh, The other one is uh, like baharat. Yeah. Bahar, bahar in Arabic means uh, allspice. Okay. Which means it's almost the same, okay. but it has to have uh, allspice. Okay, great. So, uh, and uh, some, some sumac, uh, cardamom, you mm. know, spices we are, we are used to, to use in, in Israel or... or in, in all the area all mm. the maghreb you know like wow they were absolutely delicious <laughs> yeah. um and you've obviously had this huge career 40 to 50 years 
Is there one highlight or something that stood out for you in your career? I know it's not over well, yet. Yeah. You're very busy, but is there anything that you So people, people are asking me the question sometimes, mm -hmm. and I say there are two highlights in, in my career. One, opening Mahne Yuda like 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and the second highlight is when I quit. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I found myself, you know, traveling around the world. If I'll tell you my, my schedule for the next uh, two months, uh, I, have, I, I have like about 15 flights booked oh in advance from now until the end of September. Oh, my goodness. Like okay. uh, Berlin and Munich and Frankfurt and London. Uh, and I was in uh, Toronto, and I'm going to New York, and uh, so all of a sudden I feel like an ambassador of the Israeli <laughs> food, and so, and it happened just after I retired from Achne Yuda. All of a sudden yeah. I had the time to do some other things. So, yeah. so exciting times ahead then. <laughs> yeah. And so um, my last question for you is, what's next? So we've got potentially something in. Covent Garden Hopefully, for London yes. listeners or British yeah, listeners. Yeah. Um, um, is there anything else? Where will, we, will, where will we be seeing you cooking again soon? Well, uh, as, I, as, I, as I told you, I have now three, three projects uh, ahead. One in Berlin, one in Munich, and the next one in Covent Garden. And at the moment... I think it's enough. That's enough. <laughs> I will not. I will not take any more commitments <laughs> on my uh, poor shoulders. I think that's very <laughs> yeah. As but uh, uh, as you know, uh, all of a sudden, like wilderness, and I'm doing a, a charity event in December in in London, okay, and right. another charity event in in uh, Tel Aviv. So, I all of a. Uh, uh, that's that's enough for for <laughs> the time being. Good. Well, thank you so much for having us here at Wilderness. It was wonderful to try your food, and um, thank you for not stopping. Because <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> as I as I told you, you you can take me sometimes out of the kitchen, but not the kitchen out of me. So <laughs> well, thank you very much. The day the day I will stop cooking, I think I'll die. <laughs> <laughs> So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our new August issue on the newsstand now, or go and download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.